Welcome to the Same Side Selling Podcast. I am your host, Ian Altman. So live events, it's something that during the pandemic, some people shifted to virtual events, some people still toughed it out and had as many live events as they could. I know that in my schedule nowadays, I've got about 10% that are still virtual events and other ones thankfully have gone to live because there's just a certain thing that I enjoy about the energy of live events. And rather than guess about where those trends are and things that we should or shouldn't be doing, I decided to bring on someone who is an expert or an alleged expert, much like I am an alleged expert in this topic. And David Fischette is that guy. David is the founder, CEO, and chief creative at Go West Creative. I'll let David come on and tell you all about that. So David, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me here. And thank you for emphasizing alleged because I am alleged legend in my mind. So appreciate it. Some of us are just a legend in our own shower. So, you know, there's that too. <laughs> so tell it, tell us a little bit about Go West Creative and your experience in live events and, and productions, because I want people to get a little bit of that context before we dive into these issues. Sure. Thanks. Uh, well, Go West, uh, we just celebrated our 38th birthday in November. Started off as a, a live mobile DJ company out in uh, Los Angeles in November of uh, 1984. And we, so we grew up in this uh, live event world where, you know, within, you know, five years, we were the second largest DJ company in California. And then we started getting into audio and we started getting into lighting and started getting into video. And then we started really focusing on the corporate client and then we started creating content. And so we became this full service event agency. And then we realized really all those things, the tactical things of audio, video, lighting, staging, entertainment, decor, were all just tools in a toolbox. And what we really were was just a creative agency that was working with our clients to help them deliver a message in the way that was the most, had the most stickiness and had the, had the most impact for their stakeholders. So we changed our name to Go West Creative about 15 years ago, and that's kind of been our focus. But we do live events really all over the world. We're headquartered now in Nashville, Tennessee, but probably less than 5% of the work we do is in the state of Tennessee. We're constantly on the road. And funny, I mean, really the, the work that we do here in Nashville is usually when our national clients or global clients come to Nashville. Yeah, so we've uh, we, we focus on on live events, but we also uh, have uh, four television studios here in our facility in Nashville. Nice, and and I, you know what? I always marvel the fact that I live in the Washington D.C. area. In the last fifteen years, I've spoken at, at somewhere in the neighborhood of a thousand events, and two of them have been within an hour of where I live. And and of course, right. my friends come to town to the D.C. area, and it's like. Oh, you're not speaking this event? No. Right? It's no. just, you know, so the fact that you guys are traveling a lot, not a uh, yeah. not a surprise to me. So what are some of the biggest either misconceptions that people have about live events or mistakes that they make, especially nowadays, post-COVID, and I say post-COVID with a great deal of confidence, post-COVID, because it's entirely behind us. In fact, I believe that the administration just officially announced that it's formally over, so no one can possibly get sick again. So that's great. What are things that people do that maybe are gaps or mistakes? Got it. Well, first, since it's over, I'm going to have to talk to those two employees that were out with COVID last week and find <laughs> out what they're really doing. 
So misconceptions, as we start coming back, coming out of this, you know, what I have found is that people really miss the the in-person connection, right? But there was something really powerful about the way people were communicating virtually. And there was also an ease to it. And there was also a financial savings to that. So what I'm seeing now is that some of our clients, some of our very large clients came back in 2021 with a, a live event. In 2022, they're like, oh, we want to do a broadcast again. Which I thought, and they not because of for any health reasons, but they're like we liked that format, and let's do let's do that every other year. So I think a lot of mistakes were made during COVID with people trying to figure out how to engage people virtually, and I think now it, last year was this this flood of uh, live events that came in where you know our our business more than doubled from. 21 to 22. And 2020 and 21 were our biggest years in our 38-year history. And then to more than double last year. But then all of a sudden, it's like, and then suddenly it's like, is there going to be a recession? And then it's like, come on, can we we catch a break for 24 months? Just (laughs) kind of give us a little consistency. So I, I, th- I think it's, yeah, everybody's still trying to figure out what is and what isn't and how, how things are, uh, are going to work. But I, th- I think every client, every CEO is making a, a different decision based on what they feel the temperature of the climate for events and the appetite for the audiences are. Yeah, and and I, and I think one of the one of the biggest terms that you hear people throw around in terms of their desire outcome always comes back to engagement. Whether it's a digital event, whether it's in person event, we're trying to make sure that people are engaged. What are some of the things that you see are highly effective at engaging people? And it may it may vary depending on what type of event it is, but I want to tap into your expertise there. Sure. So let me let me talk two sides of that. Let me talk let me talk just a little bit about what happened during COVID, and then talk what's happening now back in the live world. So one of the uh, the big things everybody was kind of screaming in at the beginning of COVID was in these this virtual world, how do we engage? the viewer, right? And I think the the big mistake, the misconception that people were doing that is they were thinking that they could take whatever it is they're doing live in a ballroom or a conference center, push that out over Zoom and call it a virtual meeting. And, and that wasn't really as engaging. So what we leaned into really quickly was you know, we know how to engage with the screen. We all know how to do that since we were kids. We know how to engage with cartoons or Ellen or Saturday Night Live or Oprah or whatever that is. So how do we create corporate television, TV shows that felt authentic to who each brand was and didn't come across as uh, cheesy and inauthentic? And so we had a lot of success in that way. So instead of having your your CEO just go up and walk on and give 45 minutes of a talking head, it was why don't you have him come out and do a seven-minute stand-up, not comedy, sure. but just his, his, his intro seven minutes tossed to a commercial. That commercial could deliver some of his content. Come back, he's sitting at a desk with a guest, right? And it's like, oh, we get that format. We know what this is. And that became yep. really engaging. So that, that was successful for us during COVID. And we still do some of that here. And that's why we built the studios here. But now that we're back into live events, when you talk about what was really engaging is 
A, knowing who your audience is. So we use, we use a lot of hosts, live bands, disc jockeys, the highest level corporate events, and not just to play music, but to engage the audience as we're getting ready for the start of the show. And right. we have host MCs that are coming out in the audience, working the crowd, kind of like you would uh, if you went to a live television show. What are you doing to pump up the audience, right? Sure. Get that level there. And then at the top of the show, what is what is that moment? We refer to it as the opening module. What is that thing that starts the show off that, that gets people's blood pumping? And what is it you want to do? You want to get them on their feet to cheer at the end of this thing? You want them to be reflective? Or do you want them to go, oh, my gosh, this is such an amazing company and it touches my heart? And every one of those things is a customized thing with your client, but creating those moments that really draw the people in and then pass that that goodwill and that energy off to the uh, CEO or the CMO or whoever's coming out to speak first. We've had a lot of great success with that. Yeah. And, and I think it's something that's lost on a lot of people where it's kind of like, oh, let's just start. It's you know, I, I do a monthly event for my community. We call the Coaches Corner. I have a platform called the Same Side Selling Academy, and we've got hundreds of members in there, and they come on and we go through stuff. And there's the each session starts with about you know forty five seconds of music, and we're very conscious about okay, should it, should it be kind of like relaxing, getting you in a reflective mood? Is it supposed to amp you up like at different times, and then. We've got graphics that come in or not, and it's just different things to create visual interest. And I think that the challenge that I saw during COVID was a lot of people who, all right, let me just do a slide share. Let me just share my slides. And, oh, I know, let me read bullets on the slide because uh, my audience apparently couldn't read anything. You're just sitting there thinking, this is crazy. And and I do a virtual event. People are like, oh my God, it was the most engaging thing. It's like, well, guess what? There are things that we can do to engage an audience virtually that we can't do in person and vice versa. So it's just that element of bringing in story and feeling and stuff like that is something that you could easily miss. And Well, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up specifically. So, so we have a, a product that I created 10 years ago called Spoken Cinema. Right. And so we, we've done probably 250 of these pieces and we work with a spoken word artist out of Los Angeles by the name of Steve Connell. And this guy that's you know, performed at the White House twice and performed at Maya Angelou's 75th birthday party. So, you know, you got a pretty good poet if you do that. So anyway, so he writes these custom pieces for our clients. We do a discovery call, find out what it is. And then once he writes this custom piece that, that tells the story of the brand or what people actually do, right? I don't make cars. I create a safe way for moms to take their kids to school and right, and enjoy life. Sure. Right. So he does, he does that time. But once he writes the piece, then our team here, uh, we score it, do an original cinematic score. And then this digital landscape where every word that comes out of his mouth comes to life on the screens behind him. And so when he performs, it's like he's standing in a movie. So we call it spoken cinema. Sure. And so this piece has been really, like I said, our lightning in the bottle to kick off those conventions and to be able to set a tone. And then CEOs or whoever come out, they can say, well, did you hear what Steve said? And they pull this line and that line. And it really does engage people in, in, a, in a different emotional state of mind. 
Yeah, it's it's funny because one of the, one of the things you touched on, I'm curious about. For me, if I'm keynoting an event, whether I'm the opening keynote, the closing keynote, or anywhere in between, one of the things I often ask organizers is, "Hey, can we set up a time? I'd like to speak with the other speakers." And oftentimes, like, well, why would you do that? I'm like, well, I want to get a sense of what other people are going to cover so that I can either set up someone who's speaking after me, or I've got the right callbacks to what someone else covered. Because the worst thing for the audience is if speaker A said, and you should always do this, and then I come on, you know, X hours later and go, never do that. And now the audience right. is like, well, what do I do? All, all they know at that point is there was no coordination. I remember uh, I remember Daniel Pink and I were speaking at an event and we're talking in advance. And there was one concept that he and I both shared a little bit differently. And, he's, and, and he says, you know, I've heard you deliver this thing. I actually love the way you do it. Why don't you cover that? And I'm going to set it up. So he, he spoke before me and then said, oh, and Ian's going to cover this. And it's like, then the audience feels like, okay, someone's curating this. It's not curating just- Curating is the word, yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's not just I've, I've got you know random people speaking and I got to piece it together. There's actually some intentionality to it. But I know some people push back on that. Like, oh, I, I don't have time. I don't want to do that. W- what's your experience been? No, I, th- I think that's such a wonderful concept. And, you know, it's something I may push a little bit more. You know, so often we'll do the pre-calls with an executive and the keynote individually. But to do a group call, I think is really brilliant because I, I have absolutely seen that where people give contradicting uh, information or they'll sell the, tell the s- same anecdote differently. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like, what, 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 what is truth and what is authenticity? And I feel like that reflects poorly on the brand if they're being given differing information. Yeah. Or, or it fascinates me when you get a speaker where someone it's, you know, here's a common story or anecdote to your point, And it's like the next speaker heard the first speaker deliver and then still shared the same story that person shared. And you're like, dude, like deviate, like don't. <laughs> Or at least make fun of it and Pivot. say, so-and-so told Pivot. this story. I want to share it in a different way. Fine. But if you don't say anything, the audience is thinking, weren't you here? Like we, right. We just heard that we same story. Right. You know, and, and I, and I and love I that. that. And, and yeah. if they don't feel like you're paying attention, why should I pay attention? Yeah. Right? Yeah. If you're on stage, you're not listening. Right. Yeah. I, I, I also have one of, one, of my, one of my theories is people say, and we're going to tell everybody to have their phones turned off. My answer is generally, look. If I'm on stage and I've lost them enough that they would rather be on their phone, then they should be on their phone. It's my job to make it engaging enough that they don't want to look at what's on their phone. And if not, that's my problem. And people will say, well, make sure everyone's phones are turned off. And I'm always like, oh, dear God, like I haven't seen this person speak, but I'm really worried because if they think that they can't overpower someone's phone, it's it's probably a problem. If you want to get top results for your team, take a look at the Same Side Selling Academy. Just visit samesideselling.com to learn more. And then, and that's really, that, that whole paradigm has shifted so much in the last few years too, because now we're all using that phone yeah. throughout the whole course of things. You know, there's, uh, I saw something I posted on my LinkedIn the other day. It was the most interesting deal. You, you were talking about the, the person reading the notes, right? Uh, you know, during the virtual. They have a new software that digitally keeps your eyes locked onto the camera, even if you're over here reading. As long as your head doesn't move, it locks your eyes over here. So it looks like you're engaged 
in, in an artificial way. It's wow. like, wow, you're going to a lot of effort to make people uh, not do the work. Yeah. I also think that it's, it's fascinating because the, the notion of a red flag for me is I go to an event and, and someone who's speaking, oftentimes an executive in the organization says, and my notes are going to be on the screen, right? And I'm thinking, oh no, because if you need to look at your notes, you may not actually be prepared for that for that talk right. you're about to give. I was going to say thank you for bringing that up because that that you know that brings up another misconception, another mistake. Is a lot of times, you know, we we do a lot of uh, the content and speech writing here, and so a lot of times what we will get is these paragraphs of content that they want put up on the screen, right? And people have a choice then, either to listen to what you're saying or ignore you and read all those words you yeah. just put up on the screen, right? So I'm a big fan of let's put an image up there. Let's do something yeah. that emphasizes or under undergirds what the, the point you're trying to make. Yeah, I, I often say to, to new speakers, I say, look, if you put words on the screen, your audience can either read what's on the screen or they can listen to you. They can't do both at the same time. So you have to decide which one it is. If instead, if you look online and you find images that capture the underlying theme or message of what you're sharing, and then you speak to that, what happens is the visual learner remembers the image, the auditory learner listens to, and that's the way they experience it. The experiential person, if you if you do something else with them, experiences it that way. And then we're targeting all three types of learners, and now everybody benefits from it. The notion of it's, I remember I, I spoke at an event and someone came up to me and they said, man, you know, I, I work so hard on my slides. And I mean, all of your, all you know, any slides that you had were just images. So, man, I should do that. It's so much easier. And I said, yeah, try it. Because, <laughs> because, yeah, you know, super easy, yeah, super easy to come up with an image that encapsulates what you just said for four minutes or three minutes or whatever that. And ideally, you come up with an image when people look, it's like. What is that image? And as you're speaking, they're like, oh, now I get it. Like, that's the cool part of it. And I think that the challenge is that when we've gone to this, people are so used to virtual. And in many cases, the bar was lowered. In some cases, it was raised. So it's lowered in terms of people are used to, well, I just get online. And maybe if people's cameras are turned on, that's great. My rule of thumb for a virtual event is, look, I want your cameras on because I'm going to do things like, hey, show of hands, how many of you feel this way? And I haven't figured out a way for someone to like change their font so it looks like their their hand was raised when they just see their name. So like, you know, that'll be helpful. And and that way you get that sense. And of course, sometimes it backfires because there's a guy watching the watching the event from his sofa. And you're like, um, hey, dude, you, you just dripped salsa on your shirt. Like you, you don't <laughs> right. want to cover that one. But but right. I but I think the notion of engaging people through questions, through polls and things like that, in some respects, is easier virtually. But what you touched on early on is this idea of themes and messages that I think some people it's like, yeah, just turn on the camera. We're just going to do this thing. And it's like they don't put thought into it first. And then it, yeah. and then they go, well, 100%. our audience wasn't engaged. Well, what was the theme? What were you trying to accomplish? We were just getting everyone together. Well, you did that part. How are you trying to move the needle? Yeah. So if you think about story, right? Stories have beginning, middles, ends. They've had hills and valleys, right? And so we try to take our clients' 
events, if it's a two day event, three day event, one day event, whatever. And what is the story and how do we start and how do we finish and what are all the pieces in between? But if we've been, you know, fortunate enough to have these clients that we work with year over year, and now we're doing multiple events during a year, we start going, okay, let's back up a little bit and go, what are the events you're doing over the next 12 months? And how do they build a story? What's what's the arc and how, how do we how do we keep things moving and, and, and keep them consistent? Because I had this one, you know, one incredible uh, story where I had a client that one year I was a franchise-based client. One year, he had to get up on stage and convince the franchisees that they were going to pony up an additional $150 million for television spend in the coming year. And so he got everybody behind it, and television's our future. The next year, I'm working with him on a speech, and he's talking about how television is dead, and it's all about the third screen and social media. I'm like, you can't say that. Last year you said this, but he'd had so many meetings and so many things over the over the twelve months. Uh, his story arc didn't yeah. didn't match. Yeah. But but and his story could have easily been, hey, look, we built this for television, and television has now expanded to social media, and so these models that we're doing now apply to social media. Okay, great. That you can tell. Your audience. 100%. It's all in the story, right? Yeah. <laughs> right. And so it's hitting on that side of it. And I think that that notion of the arc of the story oftentimes gets lost because, let's face it, there are certain stories in keynotes that I deliver that it's funny because I've had times where I'll come back, speak to the same audience a year later, and I think to myself, well, the audience hasn't really changed. They know this story, so I'm not going to cover that story. And then I get, as soon as the keynote is over, there's generally a break after my keynote, 50 people come to the stage and say, no, no, my buddy hasn't heard that story. Can you tell the story? And I realize much like a rock band, sometimes we got to tell the story, even though they've heard it before, because they want to hear it again. You got to play the greatest hits. Yeah. And right. so, I, so I've accepted the fact that there true. are two or three stories that are in every keynote that I give. And as much as I can change everything else, it's like, no, no, you can't take out this story. You can't take out that one because people want to hear it. And I'll say, well, you've heard it. And the guy's like, yeah, but I came back to hear it again. Okay. I love that. And it's like the Eagles probably didn't want to, didn't want to play Hotel California every concert, but they have to. Well, funny story is I, I you know, I, I mentioned I started as a DJ and for, for many years I, I ran a nightclub at Universal Studios in, in Hollywood. And the, there's Universal Amphitheaters right there. So at the end of that, whenever there's a concert, 7,000 people would come pouring out right by the back of our nightclub and we would play music and get them in. And I just remember when Pat Benatar played there and people walked in and they're like, she didn't play it. She didn't play it. She didn't play. She, she wouldn't play Hit Me With Your Best Shot. Yeah. She was so sick of doing that song. And people were like, wait, 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 you didn't, it's your biggest hit, you know? I have a good, a good buddy, uh, Ray Parker Jr. who's a Ghostbusters guy. Yep. And he will play that song for you it's it's still the um, voicemail when you call his Ghostbusters. He's like, that song paid for my house. It paid for my kid's dedication. Yeah, I will play yeah, that it's, whenever you need it. You know? Yeah. And that's smart. Yeah, and I think that's the key to that. So, so when people right now who are thinking, okay, we're getting everybody back together, what are two or three things they should be focused on to make sure that they have great events? If it's a sales kickoff, if it's, you know, whatever the, whatever the purpose is, what are two or three things they should be focused on 
that'll set them up for success going forward? Yeah. So uh, thanks. Great question. What are you going to do to engage the audience right at the top and throughout, right? Because what you don't want to do is create all this energy at the top and then it trickle, 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 trickles away. So like that host that I, I mentioned earlier, a lot of times he'll come back in and weave back in, right? In between different presenters to get the energy back up, you know, be authentic, right? You know, I, one, one of the things that I remember, what you know, we had executives that, um, you know, didn't really score well in their performances. And they knew that audience members maybe had issues with decisions that were made corporately over the last year. And I'm like, ah, screw it. And I'm like, what if you didn't ah, screw it? What if you address that right from the top in an authentic way? Kind of go, I know some of you are upset about this or blah, blah, blah. And these are some things we're working on. And to, to make people feel heard in an authentic way when you have ears for them they'll have ears for you but a lot of times you know if i've got an issue with you i'm not going to uh you know listen to what you have to say until i know you're listening to me and then you know, finally it just, it's just uh, how do you how do you wrap it up and send them off in a way that they're walking away with i can remember three things right you know so for me if there are one, two, three key messages that you're trying to communicate. How is everything you're doing over the course of your event supporting that? What we say is, how is everything that we touch a manifestation of what the client's trying to say? Yeah. Right. So at the end of the day, it's like, we did this, we did this, we did this. A lot of times you'll see people, they'll do entertainment or keynote just for a wow factor, but it doesn't tie back to their theme. So how yeah. do all those things tie together? That's great. And What's the best way for people to get in touch with you to learn about what you're doing? Oh, um, our, our website, you know, gwcg.com. It's very, very easy. Four letters. We're super lucky to get a four-letter website. Go West Creative Group, gwcg.com. And uh, reach out to me on socials at digiwest, D-I-G-I-W-E-S-T. Excellent. So I'm going to try and do a quick recap of the key takeaways for people. And then I'll give you an opportunity for rebuttal on what I may have missed. So, and because uh, David, you shared some good wisdom. I want to make sure that people put it to work. So first thing that stuck out for me is don't think that you can do whatever you did live in Zoom if you're going to virtual. And similarly, stuff that you were doing on virtual may not translate to live. We need to make sure that we recognize those are different. And when it comes to video, think of it as like corporate TV. So you're not just broadcasting what would have been in the room, but instead we're used to this TV media. So we want to take advantage of that. Think about the arc of the story so that you're thinking about how are you setting things up? How, what's the exposition that you're sharing with people? What's any conflict? What's the conclusions that people can actually feel something change through the story, not just someone talking about a product. And then the three key things you talked about, one is, how do we engage people at a live event, not only at the event, but before the event, during the event, and after the event? Make sure that you are authentic and address the elephant in the room. If you had a layoff of 1,200 people, don't be silent about it. Say, hey, you know, it was really a tough decision for us to not have those 1,200 people here. 
but what's important is those of you who are here or whatever it is, like then people know that you're that you're being heard. And then finally, make sure that people wrap up with key takeaways, much like I do on every episode here where I try and wrap up the key takeaways. Same thing when I do a keynote. Very often we'll have an infographic. We started doing something where we have an infographic that's actually a microfiber cloth. So here are the key takeaways from Ian's keynote on a microfiber cloth and people love it. And it's like, I'll get, you know, photographs people send me two years later, like, yeah, I was in this meeting. And then I remembered that I had this in my, in my eyeglass case. And that was that. So what did I miss, David? No, I think, I think you encapsulated that really well. Yeah. Thank you so much. I think the, the, the last thing that I, I didn't mention, and it's, it's kind of, you know, same side selling, right? For me, I try to learn as much about my client and their business as I possibly can. Even if it has nothing to do with the work that I'm doing for them or for the event. I want to know what their business does, uh, what, what they've done in the past that hasn't worked, who the competitors are. I, I want to understand all of that so I can help them solve their problem and I have knowledge about it when things come up on the fly. That's perfect. Yeah, it's it's a key thing. It's funny. I've I've started I've started shifting to we actually in addition to every conversation we have, I often create a survey for the audience and say, what are the biggest issues you're facing here and there and those sorts of things and the the event organizers will say, "Well, why do you do that?" I said, "Well, you'll see at the event." And I'll get on stage and say, "So 75% of you said that on a scale of 1 to 10, this was a struggle for you at an 8." So 75% of you said eight or higher on this issue. I'm going to specifically address that topic today, right? And it's like, all of a sudden they go, oh, this isn't a generic talk. This guy actually asked what we're going to do, what we're looking to learn, and he's going to focus on that. Hey, maybe I don't want to look at my phone for the next hour. Maybe I do want to listen to this. And it's just those little things that create that engagement before, during, and after that I think too often are missed. And it doesn't take an extraordinary amount of effort for the audience to see that, hey, they actually care about our experience. They're not just showing up, giving the same talk they've given 50 other times. Yeah. So, I mean, it goes exactly what I mentioned before. They want to know that they're being heard, right? Yeah. And then they're more interested in listening to you. Yeah, it's perfect. Okay. All right, David. Well, thanks for sharing your wisdom. And uh, it was great talking to you. All right. Thanks, Ian. Appreciate you. 